Uh, the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I've not been rebellious. I've not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. By now, all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go, walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. And then our second reading is from John, chapter 19, uh, the passage that we're following in the story of Christ over these last couple of weeks. It's John 19, verses 1 to 16. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and they went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed you over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. 
Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. And so the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Good morning. If you haven't met, my name is Jonathan, and it's a great joy and privilege for us to be spending time together under God's word. Allow me to pray as we come to God's word together. Gracious Father, we thank you that you are God who is not silent, but you are God who speaks. And we thank you that in these last days, you have spoken to us through your Son. So we pray as we think about the Lord Jesus and turn our minds to him, that you'll give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are soft and receptive to your word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The best way to be following along the sermon is to, um, there's just an outline with the, um, at the back of the bulletin and to have your Bibles open because I'll be referring to the verses as we go. As we look around our world today, it seems that evil triumphs over good. It seems that wicked rules over the righteous. It seems that justice triumphs over justice. So how can we as Christians claim that God is loving and powerful in the face of such great evil? How can we say Jesus is Lord in the face of injustice and wickedness? Think about the millions of Christians or millions of people being displaced in Ukraine and the thousands and thousands of people who are dying every day. How can we say that Jesus reigns when there seems to be an, a dictator who is on a throne of sorts? Friends, I first came to Australia to study, and my parents had given up a lot to send me here. After university, I found myself in a comfortable job, and I loved doing what I did. And, but God had other plans for me. See, the thought of coming to college in Australia and serving him in a full-time role first came to me when I was a student, but never went away for about 10 years. And so after a series of events, I decided to give up my job and start working as an apprentice at my church. One evening, I decided to sit down with my dad over dinner and let him know what I was going to do. Well, he didn't take it very well. See, in his eyes, I was young and naive, and I didn't know what I was getting myself into. In his eyes, I was being brainwashed and fooled into giving up something for not very much. Well, I tried to explain my reasons, but none were accepted. I tried to tell him, only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. But the attacks and the hostility didn't just end at that meal, but continued on for a number of months. Now, I know that these struggles that I face are maybe small and insignificant to some of what you faced. Maybe for some of us here, we have lost friends 
or family because of our faith in Christ. Maybe you have lost work because you have stood up for something you believed in. So as we face evil and opposition, how can we say that Jesus is Lord? Well, in our passage today in John 19, we see that Jesus is Lord over evil. It's almost as if we come face to face with evil and sin, and yet we see a God who reigns, a God who is completely in control, a God who uses evil for good. We see that Jesus is Lord over evil. But before we spend some time in John 19, let's think together about the story so far. We've seen Jesus arrested. We've heard the charges of sedition being read out. We've heard Jesus questioned by the high priest and then by Pilate. We've heard Pilate even say that Jesus is innocent. I find no basis of a charge against him. And as we come to John 19, did you notice there are four scenes uh, in your outline in front of you? These scenes shift from inside to outside the palace. In scenes one and three, points one and three in your outline, Jesus and Pilate are inside the palace. In scenes two and four, Pilate and Jesus are outside with the chief priests and the Jews. Each of these scenes create a contrast between what seems and what really is. So these four contrasts are firstly, that Jesus is shamed, yet he is king. Secondly, Jesus is accused, yet he is the sinless son of God. Thirdly, Jesus looks helpless, but he is sovereign. And finally, Jesus is rejected, yet he is king. So our first point, Jesus is shamed, yet he is king. Imagine for a moment that the queen or someone very important was coming to your house this afternoon. When she arrives, how would you greet her? How would you receive her? Well, Jesus is far greater than any human ruler that exists. So how was Jesus received? Look with me in verse 1. Pilate takes him and flogs him. In verse 2, the soldiers put a crown of thorns on his head. They mock him. And the, the thorns cause blood to, fall, to flow down his head. They dress him in a purple robe. And in Jesus' time, the soldiers would kneel down before their Caesar and pay homage to him and say, Hail, Caesar, and offer him a kiss. What do they offer Jesus? They say, Hail, the king of the Jews. But they don't give him a kiss, but a strike to the face. You see, like a skilled photographer, John captures for us humanity at its worst. You see, Jesus wasn't just any man. We read, we've read in the beginning in John 1, 1, that he is the eternal word. The one who was with God and the one who was God. He was the one through whom all things were made. See, whether Pilate or these soldiers acknowledged it or not, 
the fact remains Jesus is king, not of just of the Jews, but over them. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. So though they treat him like a plaything and mock him and beat him, we know that one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Though they treat him as a clown king, we know he is the king. The one whom all of us must bow the knee and worship. So friends, as I ask of myself and I ask of you, how do we treat Jesus? Do we call him king? And if we do call him king, do we call him king merely with our lips, like the soldiers? Or do we call him king in our hearts and truly revere him as Lord? Do we say he is king, but then walk out the door and live as though you and I are king? Well, Jesus is shamed, yet he is king. That brings us to our second truth, that Jesus is accused, yet he is the sinless son of God. Do you notice that the, shift, the scene shifts from inside the palace to outside? So in verse 4, Pilate comes out and he says, look, behold, see. What did they see? They saw a man who was swollen, who was beaten who was bruised, who was bleeding, with a crown of thorns on his head and a purple robe wrapped around him. Pilate says, look, this man, this man whom you say is so dangerous, this man who you say is a threat, can't you see he's harmless? Can't you see he's ridiculous? Can't you see he's no threat at all? But when Pilate says, see the man, he actually speaks more than he knows. Because we know from John's gospel, Jesus isn't just any man. He is the man. The word became flesh who dwelt amongst us. Jesus is the man in whom we see the glory of the Father. How? In Jesus' disgrace, in his pain, in his weakness, we see a man who is full of grace and truth. Though Jesus is the truth, the religious leaders cry out falsely, crucify him, crucify him. Though Pilate says, I find no guilt in him, they still call for him to be crucified. So Pilate responds, you take him, you crucify him, for I find no basis to charge him. It's almost as if Pilate is saying, you've brought him to me for trial, but you won't accept my verdict. You won't accept my judgment. Jesus is innocent. So the Jews respond, Pilate, if you don't accept he is political, he's a political threat, he is at least a religious one. You see, this man must die because he made himself out to be the son of God. In Leviticus 24 and verse 16, the law requires someone who blasphemes to be put to death. 
So Jesus must die because he held himself out to be the son of God. Let's think about that for a minute. Son of God. Does that necessarily equate to blasphemy in the Jewish terms? You see, son of God was used for what was the anointed king of Israel. Son of God was used for a Messiah figure to come. So even if Jesus was calling himself the son of God, that doesn't mean that he was blaspheming against God in Jewish terms. What a travesty. What a sham. What a mockery of justice. Even on the basis of their own allegations, the charges should be dismissed. Jesus is innocent, but yet he remains accused. In verses 6 and 7, we see both the religious leaders and political leaders coming together against God. We see Jews and Romans coming together against Jesus and the whole world conspiring to murder the Son of God. But unknown to them, they are unconsciously speaking the truth of the gospel. So if you look with me in verse 6, Pilate says, I find no guilt in him. And we know that Jesus is the sinless Son of God. Or if you look in verse 7, the Jews say, he must die in accordance with the law. We know that Jesus must die to fulfill all the requirements of the law. We know that Jesus is the one who knew no sin, who became sin for us, so that we might have the righteousness of Christ. Jesus is accused, yet he is the sinless Son of God. Jesus is Lord over I remember reading at the start of last year about how the military in Myanmar had overthrown the, gov the government of the day. Unrest gripped the country and demonstrations led to death and bloodshed and hundreds were shot and killed by the military. And as the anniversary of such a, such a crackdown took place, the army has again vowed to annihilate anyone who stands up against them. Amidst the carnage and death and destruction, we hear of stories of faith. There was a man who built a shop house some 19 years ago, but in a moment, the army came, looted it, and burnt it to the ground. He lost his livelihood, he lost his business, but listen to what he says. I built this shop house in 2002, but God is kind to have allowed me to stay in the house free from trouble until now. It is time for God to take it away from me. I am thankful. In fact, in front of his shop house, written in his, in his language, it says, Jesus is my everything. You see, even though he stared evil face to face, he knew Jesus is still king. Even though he lost his livelihood, Jesus is still Lord. Even though they burnt down his business and his way of providing for his family, Jesus was still his everything. Will we trust Jesus? 
if we are falsely accused? Will we put our confidence in him? As we testify to Jesus and we find that we receive opposition because we follow him, will we continue to believe in him? If our friends and our neighbours and our colleagues think we are stupid and ignorant, will we look to Jesus, who is accused, and yet is the sinless Son of God? Do we believe that Jesus is Lord over evil? So we've seen Jesus is ashamed, yet he is king. We've seen Jesus is accused, yet he is the sinless Son of God. And now we come to our third truth, that Jesus appears helpless, yet he is sovereign. How does Pilate respond to the Jewish demands? If you look with me in verse 8, Pilate is afraid. But why is Pilate afraid? You see, blasphemy didn't mean much for a Roman ruler. But could Jesus be a son of God, a sort of divine man according to what the Romans believed? Could he have some sort of divine power? If so, Pilate had just had him flogged and mocked. So Pilate heads back inside the palace and he asks Jesus, where are you from? Silence. Jesus doesn't answer. Pilate says, do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus was bound. Jesus was beaten. Jesus was bloodied. And yet, he didn't try to speak to the Roman governor. It's almost as if Pilate was saying, don't you know I have power whether you live or die? Don't you know that I have power over you? Jesus responds by saying, Pilate, you have no power over me unless it's given to you from above. You see, the fact that Jesus was handed over to Pilate wasn't because of Pilate's plan, but God's plan. Pilate wasn't the one in power, but God was the one in power. Jesus didn't see Pilate's power but the hand of God. Think about that for, for a minute. This is the most unthinkable act, the murder of the Son of God. But yet, the worst of this evil doesn't fall outside God's hands. Such wickedness and sin doesn't fall outside the boundary of God's rule. God is the one who reigns. God is the one who rules. What about Pilate? He's still responsible. What about the chief priests? They are still responsible for handing Jesus over to Pilate. It is the hand of God bringing about all these things to fulfill his purposes. Listen to how Peter teaches about Jesus' death at Pentecost in Acts 2. So Acts 2 as it comes up on the screen. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. 
See, Jesus was delivered up, yes, but it's not because he was dependent on men. God is not dependent on the acts of evil men. He is Lord over evil. So we come now to our final section. Jesus is rejected, but yet he is king. The scene moves for a final time to outside the palace. And before Pilate announces his verdict, in verse 12, we are given an insight into his motivation. He wants to release Jesus. He saw that Jesus had done nothing worthy of death. He saw that Jesus hadn't committed treason. But the Jews are quick to pressure him. They say, if you let him go, you're really no friend of Caesar. Are you sure, Pilate, you want to incur Caesar's wrath? Are you sure you want to set him free and explain why you let a man go who committed treason? See, the Jews were willing to do and say anything to get Jesus killed. They were willing to hold themselves out as loyal subjects to a hated Roman emperor just to get Jesus crucified. So Pilate caves to the pressure. In verse 13, we read, after hearing these words, he sits down to deliver his verdict. And our passage ends with Pilate handing Jesus over to be crucified in verse 16. But did you notice when all this took place? Look with me in verse 14. It was the day of the preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. See, it was the day in Israel that they were preparing to kill thousands of lambs to celebrate the Passover meal. But more than that, it was the day where Jesus was about to become the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, this phrase, behold, or see, or look, is, happens four times throughout John's Gospel, and it's significant for us. So if you look at John 1.29, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we've seen in verse 5 of chapter 19, Pilate says, Behold the man. And again, in, again, Pilate now says in verse 14, Behold your king. Pilate speaks to mock and humiliate Jesus, but he actually speaks more than he knows. Jesus is the long-awaited king of the Jews. But they didn't recognize him because he looked bloodied and mocked and weak. But we know that Jesus is the lion and the lamb. He is the king, but yet he is the servant. He humbly lays down his life for your sake and mine, and yet he is the Lord of all. The Jews would have none of this, so in verse 15 they cry out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asks. We have no king but Caesar, they answer. See, the Jews aren't just rejecting Jesus, but God himself. Because God was the only true king of Israel. Jesus is rejected, and yet he is king. Jesus is Lord over evil. Well, we trust him. 
Benjamin Morris is a church planter in Ukraine. Allow me to read what he wrote. I woke up at 5.30 in the morning from a call from my friend. He said on the phone, we are heading back to you. They've begun bombing the city. After trying to wake up and look through the news, I realized that our whole country was being bombed. These events have put a, thought, a pause to our plans, but amidst the conflict, there are stories of faith. In a word, what the enemy has intended for evil, God is using for good. As we gather for worship in Ukraine, the enemy loves to sow fear and panic because he is the father of lies. And this is the lie, that someone else other than Christ is king, that a depraved madman would like to believe that he has the right to control fate and life and nations. But we know there is one who controls the flow of history. In Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. But this truth is not always easy to hear when the sound of the bombs are exploding around us. The noise of the lies can get loud, so the truth needs to get deeper. In a prayer meeting, the Ukrainians were singing, Faithful you are, faithful forever you will be. Faithful you are, all your promises are yes and amen. Benjamin Morris writes, We serve a king who stared death face to face and defeated it. There is only one true king, and the little tyrants of this world will ultimately play into his great victory. His promises are sure, his victory is inevitable. So friends, will we trust Jesus as the Lord over evil? Will we imitate Jesus who endured injustice in this life, as we endure injustice in this life? Will we imitate Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross? Will we trust God in the midst of evil? Will we believe that Jesus is Lord over evil. Allow me to pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who rules and reigns before you. And we thank you that he is Lord over all. We thank you that he humbled himself, came in the form of human flesh, and suffered under Pontius Pilate to hit the cross so that we might be right before you. We pray that you'll help us to keep trusting in you, even as we face injustice, as we face a world that is in opposition to you. Help us to cling to the Lord Jesus and to look to him, who is our rock and our redemption. Amen. Thanks, John. As we respond to God's word, uh, we're going to declare together the words of the Apostles' Creed. I've recently been reading a book that uh, kind of talks through the Apostles' Creed uh, as an explanation of Christian faith. And uh, the section it has on Pontius Pilate, um, 
you know, we've seen a little bit this morning of how he tried so much to be rid of this kind of Jesus problem. He uh, kept declaring that Jesus was innocent. He kept trying to get the Jews to let him, let him go, and uh, he couldn't. And there's something remarkable about the fact that for 2,000 years, Christians have been naming the fact that Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate. This is part of our historic faith, and he could not take himself out of that story. So, friends, we're going to say together the words of the Creed. They'll appear on the screen and uh, particularly reminding each other of what Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate, and, uh, and then we'll keep going. So let's say these words together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Uh, we're going to spend some time in prayer um, before Laura comes to lead us on that. We'll be praying in part for Dave and Beck McIntyre, some of our mission partners who are working in Japan. Uh, there's a brief update from them that will happen on the video, and then Laura's going to be leading us in prayer. Hi, everyone. This is Dave and Beck McIntyre. Spotify is still playing. So we'll, we'll start the video again. Thank you. Hi everyone, uh, this is Dave and Beck McIntyre. Uh, we're serving in Nishinomiya in Japan with CMS. Uh, this is a quick update to remind you that we're coming to Australia in less than three weeks. And we're looking forward to seeing you all as we come around and visit churches and meet up with lots of you and uh, updating you on what we've been up to for the last two and a bit years while we've been here. Um, as you know well, it's been a tricky time with COVID, uh, with restrictions on things like meetings and services. Uh, but th at the same time, uh, there's also been some really good things that happened uh, as we were forced to do things in a new way. Mm. And we've also made the difficult decision that it's time to move on from Mondo Bible Church. And then when we return to Japan, we're going to start working at Crossroad Church in Nishinomiya. And we look forward to telling you all about that. We also want to hear from you uh, when we get back to Australia. You know, we know that things have been difficult for you as well because of COVID and because of the more recent rain and flooding that's been going on in Australia. So we want to hear how you are, how we can pray for you and how we can all work together to mm. be better partners together in the, the gospel work and helping to see a Japan that knows Jesus.
see you soon. See ya. together now to pray for the McIntyres and our church and community. Father God, this morning we bring Dave and McIntyre before you as they serve you to see a Japan that knows Jesus. We join with them to give you thanks, God, for a fabulous day of fellowship recently at the Kansai Christian Women's Conference. We pray that those relationships would continue to grow outside of the conference and uh, get women would be able to join together to nurture each other's faith in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, and give you praise for the baptism of five kids recently at Mondo Bible Church. We pray for their faith, that they would grow with you, Lord, and stick to Jesus, especially in a difficult cultural context of being a Christian in Japan. We thank you for the team at CMS who've been helping prepare Beck and Dave for return to Australia. And we pray with Beck, Dave, Alyssa, Natasha, and Mitchell, that as they approach this busy time of finishing things up in Japan and returning to Australia for home assignment, that they would be able to keep their eyes on Jesus. We pray for preparations to return. We pray that your hand would be over everything and that COVID wouldn't hinder any, um, any flights or returns to Australia. We pray for a great time of reconnection with partner churches, that they would be able to share the work they've been doing in Japan and also feel connected to people uh, and what's been happening in their lives in these uh, tricky past three years. We also pray for Beck and Dave as they say goodbyes at Mondo Church and prepare for a new ministry at Crossroads Church when they return. Lord, we also think of our own community and our Easter mission events. We read in Acts about Jesus, that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. We pray, Lord, that we would ponder this truth and it would really spur us on, that we would be bold to invite people to our many Easter events. We pray that people who come would hear the gospel, respond and be saved. We pray that many children would also be able to come to the Mythbuster um, Pupil Free Day. We pray for preparation for leaders, safety and a great time for kids and this be a really good opportunity to connect with families and knit them into our church community. Lord, we also pray for our local schools, uh, particularly for Anzac Park, Camaray Public School and Camaraygal High School. We pray for Easter assemblies at Anzac Park and Camaray Public Schools. We pray that at these assemblies, students and teachers would be able to proclaim Jesus faithfully that children would hear your word and that seeds would be planted in their hearts for a lifetime of faith. Lord, we also think this morning about world events. We particularly pray for the Ukraine. We pray that a diplomatic solution would be found to the war there. We pray that you would um, spare people and from loss of life and injury and that you would relieve the suffering, particularly of those who've been displaced. Lord, we also think of the continued COVID situation. We pray for a halt of that disease and for scientists working on new and more effective vaccines and that these would be equitably distributed around the world. But most importantly, Lord, during both these situations, we pray that it would be a chance for people to stop and assess their priorities and turn to Jesus. And Lord, finally, while this is going on, we remember the hardship of Christians, um, in the Christians who are persecuted for their faith every day. We think of around the world, 13 Christians killed each day, many churches attacked and people unjustly imprisoned or losing their jobs. We think particularly of Christians in North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya and Pakistan. 
Lord, we pray that you would sustain these brothers and sisters and that they would be a great witness to those around them and that they would know that eternal treasures await them in heaven. We ask this in your name, Lord. We know that you are faithful and powerful to answer our prayers. Amen. Well, we've been asked to 